Dr. Nancy O'Reilly's groundbreaking book, In This Together, landed on bookstore shelves with a powerful message. When we work together, we can do absolutely anything. Guidance from 40 women leaders with specific strategies to help women advance their careers makes In This Together even more relevant today, especially with the pandemic's impact on women in the workforce. Take your career to the next level with Dr. Nancy O'Reilly's In This Together, now available on audiobook. Download your copy today. And thank you, good people, for hanging on to this episode of The Real Leaders Podcast. And before we go today, I just want to make sure that you are all aware that we have now launched our new Real Leaders membership. If you want to get access to all of Real Leaders Magazine, private member-only events, and free courses online, hit the link in the show notes and enter in coupon code PODCAST20 to receive 20% off a $100 a year subscription. Hit the link in the show notes. Enter in coupon code PODCAST20 to receive access to all of Real Leaders to get you to the next level. Thanks for listening to this episode, and always keep it real. Four, three, two, and one. And welcome, everyone, to this episode of the Real Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Edwards. Joining us today, folks, is Carolina Miranda the founder and CEO of Cultivating Capital. Carolina, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me here. Of course, of course. So Carolina, uh, you're a new member in the Impact Collaborative. And of course, you help companies get certified, stay certified, and help grow their businesses responsibly. Tell us a little bit about your origin story. What drove you to get affiliated with the Impact community? Sure. Um, I would say that at heart, I'm an idealist and I definitely believe that a better world is possible. And so for me, part of my journey has been figuring out what my role is in helping to bring about that better world. And certainly it has been, excuse me, a bit of an unexpected journey in that I never expected to be running my own business. Um, I had actually gone into the nonprofit sector, which is, you know, what I had thought back in the day was what I was supposed to do if I wanted to do good in the world. And then what I found is that, you know, the nonprofits just don't have the resources to really affect the kind of change that I believe is needed. And so I started looking at the private sector, went back to school, focused on sustainable businesses. And when I started cultivating capital as my own business, I really knew that I wanted to focus on helping other companies to improve their own impact. And that was, um, gosh, more than 10 years ago. So it's been a while that I've been doing this now. So, so help us understand a little bit more about kind of the service that you provide. You know, many businesses go to lawyers or accountants for work with their legal structuring, with their taxes, with their audits. Tell us a little bit about the work that you do with Cultivating Capital. Sure. So we basically help companies to improve and measure their social and environmental performance uh, with a specific focus on small businesses. So one of the things that I've seen over the years is that a lot of small business owners want to do the right thing with their business, but you know they just are not sure exactly what they need to be doing and how they need to be doing it. They might have some ideas. In many cases, they do. 
But, you know, there is um, the reality that small businesses just have fewer resources in terms of both time and money compared to obviously larger corporations. So, you know, larger corporations might be able to invest in like a chief sustainability officer. You know, they might be able to have, you know, an entire department that is working on impact. But a small business owner that, you know, is trying to, you know, just get their keep their business going day to day, you know, they often are looking for just guidance of what is it that we, you know, can and should be doing. And so I've been a big believer in frameworks to help to kind of guide that process. And the framework that I've found to be the best one is really the B Impact Assessment, which is the online tool that's needed for B Corp certification, because it really um, outlines, you know, all of the various practices that are positive that you know do yield a, a beneficial impact that a company can be focused on and so my focus has been how do i help these small business owners to integrate these practices you know into their organizations um shortcut the time that it takes to figure out what to do and spend time focusing on you know what does this look like for each individual business to maximize their own impact and for the small business owners listening out there, help explain to them a little bit about the impact assessment and, and how it's uh, valuable to their organization. Yeah, so the impact assessment is, uh, it's an online tool. So anybody can access it at no cost. They can just go to beimpactassessment.net. They can create an account and what they'll be presented with is this tool that helps them to evaluate their impact across all stakeholder groups. So one of the things that is really um, important within the B Corp movement is really understanding the difference between shareholders and stakeholders. So traditionally, we've always thought about how do we maximize profit for shareholders? But what B Corps do is they say, you know, let's actually center stakeholders, which is anybody who has a stake in how a company operates, regardless of whether the um, that individual has you know any ownership share in the company, so this means that you're really broadening the lens to think about you know how employees are being affected, how customers are affected, you know what's going on with the local community and you know throughout the supply chain, but it's really important to have some very practical ways to assess those impacts so that you're not just talking about, you know, the uh, in the abstract, you know, that these different stakeholder groups are being impacted. So when you get into the impact assessment, you're actually provided with very specific questions across governance practices, worker practices, community practices, environment practices, and customers, customer practices. And so as a small business owner, you're able to um, review these questions, review these sets of practices. And uh, in some cases, you might find that you're already engaged in some beneficial practices. Um, invariably, what I find happens is as a small business, business owner, you also review some questions that you're like, huh, I never thought about that. But yeah, that would make sense for us to do. And so it becomes ways of kind of strengthening, you know, what the company is doing overall. I like how you mentioned that, you know, a lot of business owners may realize they're already doing many of the practices. What are some of the customers that you found are coming to you? Are they organizations that already have this mission 
or are they uh, organizations and entrepreneurs who are just curious about the work? Yeah, that's that's a good question. So um, it, at Cultivating Capital, we work exclusively on supporting companies in becoming certified and recertified as B Corps and really using the impact assessment as a framework for measuring and managing you know, their overall social and environmental impacts. So we often find that the people that are coming to us are those that are very interested in actually going forward with certification. Now, as of this recording, you know, there's just over 5,000 B Corps around the world, uh, under 2,000 in the US and Canada. So this is still very much a movement of early adopters. And so I find that the people that are seeking to join the B Corp community that are reaching out to us are very much being driven by um, a belief that this is this aligned very much with their company's mission overall. You know, we do get inquiries from people that are just curious and want to learn more about um, B Corps. And, and so, you know, we do try to make available some resources through, you know, online articles, you know, LinkedIn, webinars, things like that, to make sure that, you know, we can also help them to just understand what the movement is all about. And what about, what about your, your own journey into this certified B corporate status? Uh, did you start as a, a C corporation and then get certified? Explain to our listeners out there uh, the difference between uh, a public benefit corporation and a certified B corporation, if there's any tax advantages or anything that's different when you get certified. Yeah, good question. So they are two different things that are very commonly confused. So when you're talking about certified B Corps, which is the area that I help people with, um, that is really speaking about a third party certification. So you go through this assessment, you basically do a self-assessment. And then as you answer questions in the affirmative, you earn points. And then you can eventually get to 80 points, which is the threshold that's required for certification. When you get to that threshold, you can go ahead and submit your impact um, assessment to B-Lab, which is a nonprofit, and they will verify the practices that are on there. When they verify those practices, you become a certified B Corp. Public benefit corporations are different because those are legal entities. And I'm not an attorney, so I don't help clients to become benefit corporations. But as a legal entity, benefit corporations exist in the same way that C-Corps, S-Corps, LLCs, LLPs, the same way that all of those exist. So a company can choose to establish themselves as a benefit corporation. Right now, there's benefit corporations available in approximately 30, 32 states, um, including Delaware, which of course is where the majority of companies are incorporated. And so um, when a company sets up as a benefit corporation, they are in general, obviously things can vary state by state, but they are in general committing to take all stakeholders into account and to measuring their impact and reporting on it in some way. Some, straight, some states, of course, are gonna be a bit more uh, rigorous in terms of what they require than others. But 
that's the important thing is just to know that the benefit corporation is a legal entity. A company can become a benefit corporation legally without going through the third party certification to become a certified B Corp. Now, as far as tax advantages go, because benefit corporations are not yet recognized at the federal level, there are no built-in tax advantages per se from becoming a benefit corporation. Now here though, I will issue my disclaimer that in the same way that I'm not an attorney, I'm also not an accountant. And so, you know, there might be perhaps um, some benefits that might be available, you know, may, perhaps on a local level, but not on a federal level. And, you know, there are some certified B Corp attorneys and accountants that really, you know, could probably serve as resources for anybody exploring, you know, these two, uh, these two paths. The last thing that I'll say, though, is when you become a certified B Corp, there is a legal requirement that needs to be met. So that means that if a company is a C Corp or an S Corp, in a state that recognizes benefit corporations, that company does actually have to convert to become a benefit corporation. Um, however, if they are not yet a corporation, let's say they're an LLC, they do not have to convert to become a benefit corporation, but they do need to amend their operating agreement to take stakeholders into account. This part gets a little, a little in the weeds. Um, what I would want people to just take away from this is to understand that even though they are two separate things, one is a certification, one is a legal entity, there is a legal requirement as part of the certification. And B-Lab explained on their website, if you um, go to bcorporation.net, look into the certification process, they actually explain what the legal requirement is, depending upon how a company is already established and where it's located. Definitely. And I really like how you answered that. And, and just for people listening out there, even regardless, the, the tool, the assessment is free, right? So you can go through there. Mm -hmm. Like you said, you might be prompted in some questions that you never thought of beforehand. Uh, so you can go on there and, and check it out today. One of the quick questions I want to clarify is if I was an LLC, would I be able to be certified as a certified B corporation? Absolutely. So you could be certified um, <clears throat> if you're already a corporation, if you're an LLC, if you're an LLP, you could even be certified if you're a sole proprietor, which a lot of people don't realize. Mm, okay, interesting, interesting. Um, and one of the things that you had mentioned, uh, Carolina, which is very interesting to me is the federal, um, at the federal level it has not been, uh, I guess, accepted at the federal level. Is that um, in the near future, is that something that uh, many people are working on to recognize a benefit corporation from a, a, a tax uh, level? Yeah, uh, so Senator Warren actually did present some benefit corporation legislation. I believe it was about a year and a half ago or so. And, you know, it, it just, it didn't go anywhere. Um, but, it, you know, it is, there have been attempts, let's put it that way. It's just a matter of getting things through, through Congress these days, but that's a whole nother conversation. Right. And so just to you know, sum everything up, you know, the main, I guess, difference between a corporation who uh, has a responsibility for the continuity of life that if the owner were to die, 
if something were to happen to its shareholders or you know however the exchange of power happens that a certified b corporation uh, in its fiduciary responsibilities has to make decisions in the best interest of other stakeholders could you mention a few of these other stakeholders that, that you're talking about and how they also correlate with uh, business growth and also capital raises. Yeah, so these other stakeholder groups include like workers, for example, um, that's probably one of the biggest stakeholder groups that any company has. It includes customers, it includes suppliers, it includes the local community, it includes the environment. So it basically includes any groups that are affected by how this company is operating. And the way that, you know, it ties into really kind of um, overall company profitability and company growth is that when a company is taking these stakeholder groups into account, it can realize some benefits that, you know, might not be immediately apparent. So let's say, for example, you know, with uh, with workers, you know, yes, it might cost a month a company more to take care of its workers, you know, either by paying living wages, offering good benefits, offering good leave policies, offering good professional development opportunities. But a company that is taking care of its workers really well is also going to benefit from improved uh, retention and also recruitment. And that's one of the things that a lot of people recognize as a very specific benefit to running a company with a focus on you know, mission and purpose and stakeholder governance, because it's hard to find you know, good talent. And a lot of people want to work for companies that they're going to feel good about and they're going to take care of them. You know, we've seen that very clearly through the great resignation. And so you know, this is one of the ways that a company that is focusing on taking care of stakeholder groups can actually see it as, as a business benefit. You know, and in terms of raising capital, which you also asked about, there was a there was a time, perhaps a few years ago, when companies felt that if they kind of put this stake in the ground of saying we're going to build a company that is here for a greater social and environmental purpose, it was considered that that might jeopardize any chances of raising capital. And what we've seen is that that's not the case. You know, you have companies like Allbirds, for example, which is a certified B Corp, which has, you know, obviously been able to raise capital, go public. And there's more and more cases like this out there. Um, so what I'm seeing now with some of the clients that we're talking to is they're actually seeking B Corp certification because they know that the investors that they want to raise capital from are going to recognize and respect the B Corp certification and the path towards impact that the company is taking. So rather than it actually being a risk, it's actually um, a way to, to embed that value and to be able to um, to raise capital. So, so expand on that a little bit more. I know a lot of individuals in this space compare the two between impact and ESG, with ESG having a focus on risk, um, reducing your, your risk from an environmental, social, and governance perspective, and impact, uh, transforming something that wasn't there before. How do you 
perceive these two, uh, I guess, factors, risk and impact uh, from a, a B Corp lens in raising capital? Well, I mean, I would preface this by saying that, you know, um, I'm not an investor. And so I'm not necessarily the one that is out there investing in companies that are raising capital. But there is data out there that shows from a B Corp lens that there is reduced risk by focusing on impact and by going through the certification process. Um, part of that is just, and I think that um, there's a resource, I could probably track it down later if we wanted to put it in the show notes, but there is a, a resource out of Canada that shows that companies that have gone through the certification process are actually more um, better managed from a governance perspective. And so the really the reduction in risk comes from having really tight governance practices, from having some strong relationships with suppliers, for example, which can actually help companies to work together when there are supply chain disruptions. Um, it comes from having you know, more goodwill with their customers, more brand loyalty, which can help to, again, kind of, you know, withstand some of the ebbs and flows that inevitably occur. Um, and certainly from having, you know, employees that are willing to stand by the company, you know, during uh, times that might be a little tough. So by actually focusing on improved impact across these stakeholder groups, what we've seen is that companies that are certified as B Corps are actually able to weather some of these changes and have reduced risk as a result. One of the first data points actually that came out around this was after the Great Recession, when B Corps were actually less likely to close their doors relative to the overall business community. Um, <clears throat> one of the other data points that we've seen recently was actually in Portland, which has a very active B Corp community. And what they saw is that B Corps also were able to uh, whether the pandemic and the recession, you know, uh, very well overall. So fewer B Corps actually close their doors than the business community as a whole. So, you know, B Corps are still relatively new. The first B Corps were just certified 15 years ago in 2007. And, you know, the, um, the, uh, overall numbers, like I mentioned, are, are still pretty, pretty low. So it's still very much these early adopters, which means that there isn't a lot of data out there as much as we would like to see. But this is what all the early indications are showing. That's, that's really interesting. That's going to be my next question is uh, around the great resignation that you had mentioned earlier. When you say the B Corps maybe fared a little bit better, what are you looking at? Is it more like employee retention? Is it EBITDA? What what specifically are you are you referring to? Closures. Yeah. Like how many how many companies have gone out of business during these waves that have really resulted in a lot of companies having to close their doors? Impressive, impressive. And so uh, I think there's a strong case to be made uh, for the resiliency of a lot of these certified B corporations. Um, are there any weaknesses that you see in the assessment still that you'd like to maybe expand on or, or change uh, for the assessment? 
Yeah, that's that's a good question. So <clears throat> the impact assessment is a tool and like any tool, it's not perfect. So there's always going to be room, excuse me, room for improvement. And especially in a field that is as relatively new and as dynamic and as constantly evolving as impact management, there's always going to be um, new practices that are emerging, old practices that are falling by the wayside. So the impact assessment, you know, as a tool that is reflecting current practices is definitely one that is also subject to improvement itself. Personally, I think that one of the areas where the assessment um, is not as strong is in the environment section. Uh, and that's really because it doesn't get as granular as I would like to see it be. As, as a sustainability consultant, I would love to see you know, more um, questions on the assessment in the environment section that actually deal with you know day to day has the company eliminated you know the use of bottled water for example things that we know are just very basic but the assessment because it is built as a robust tool that's used you know around the world it's not able to really get down to you know to the to that level of detail sometimes that's interesting. That's very interesting. Now, just out of curiosity, I, I feel like, you know, when you search sustainability or, or certified B corporations, um, you know, a lot of the, the, the verbiage that gets thrown in there is, um, you know, social companies, nonprofits. Uh, could you maybe distinguish for, for our listeners out there or business owners and say, hey, look, you know, we have a product, but we contribute, let's say, 15% of our proceeds to a cause that's oriented in our community for a nonprofit. That's impact to us. Would that get recognized on the, the B certification, any type of philanthropy or, or nonprofit work? Yeah, absolutely. So um, when a company gives back in some way, then that is something that is recognized on the assessment. In fact, one of the sections, it's the community section, looks at a company's charitable giving practices, and that can include both financial donations as well as pro bono or volunteer work that might be done by the, you know, by the employees at that company. Uh, just speaking with a few other B Corps, and that's being a, a certified B Corp ourselves, uh, one of the, the challenges we see is just the, um, the delay of, of getting back in terms of recertifying. Is this a process that you can maybe help out with? Is this a process that um, you, you serve for other business owners to help them make sure that they're staying in communication with uh, the people at B Labs? Yeah, so that's part of what we do when we work with clients and we're helping them either with their certification or their recertification is to ensure that those communications with B-Lab are being properly managed um, just to make sure that things are, you know, moving along the way that they need to and to make sure that we're getting the information to the standards analyst that's verifying the assessment, you know, in a timely fashion. Now, um, there is one other aspect to what you just asked about, which is there is currently a significant backlog with B-Lab. So companies right now are submitting their assessments and they're actually having to wait months before they can actually um, get their certifications you know, finalized. 
uh, months. In some cases, it can take more than a year. And all of that really speaks to the interest that we're seeing right now around B Corp certification. So I've mentioned a couple of times that it is a movement of early adopters. And so I think that one of the things that we're seeing is that uh, more and more leaders in the business space are choosing to support this as a growing movement and to uh, recognize that this is a framework that they can use to really, you know, build and grow their company. And just for our listeners out there, who are some of the big players and maybe the more recognizable brands in the space that have now certified as a B corporation? Yeah, there's actually quite a few. So um, Patagonia is obviously one that a lot of companies you know, know about. A lot of people know about Eileen Fisher is another one you know, that has been in the apparel industry for a long time. Um, ben & Jerry's has been around a long time as a certified B Corp. Some, it's one of the interesting things that we're seeing now is more and more kind of household uh, names and you know brands that are more well-recognized are becoming B Corps. Probably one of the biggest ones recently is Maker's Mark Whiskey, which a lot of people might not necessarily uh, be thinking of as a B Corp, but they announced their certification just within the last few months. Um, the Guardian is another one, just as a source of uh, online news. You know, they've been a B Corp for a while. There's there's a lot. You could actually go to bcorporation.net, um, and then there's a link that says find a B Corp, and you can search, you know, by by keyword or by location, and you know your listeners can find B Corps that are around them, or you know if they're interested in B Corps in the apparel industry, or you know. Uh, coffee, tea, Bigelow tea is another one that comes to mind. Um, they're pretty, pretty well known. They're out there in a lot of places. And Carolina, just out of curiosity for your own business uh, strategy, have you found, I guess, what have been some of the competitive advantages that you found while being a certified B Corps, obviously looking for other companies that want to become certified or, or recertified? I mean, I'd say, you know, because of, of what we do, it's definitely a competitive advantage to be a certified B Corp. It's really, um, I think it's really important that if you are telling companies that you are going to help them with this, you know, fairly rigorous certification process and help them to improve their own practices, that you have also taken the time to do that yourself. In fact, because I work primarily with small businesses, a lot of times I am able to share with the business owner, you know, things that I've actually done, you know, in my own business as part of my own B Corp certification and recertification process. And that actually helps them to understand, you know, how they can integrate these practices into their own operations. So that's, you know, something that's very particular for me as a B Corp consulting firm. But the um, competitive advantage can, you know, play out in a number of different ways across industries. So one of the things that I'm hearing now from clients when, you know, I ask why they are interested in B Corp certification is they're being asked about it. So when they're filling out RFPs, for example, they're being asked about their own social and environmental practices. And in some cases, they're being asked specifically if their company is a certified B Corp. So it is now... 
um, growing in awareness and recognition to the point where it is starting to really drive more value because of that awareness that exists. And because you deal with a lot of these certified B Corps and a lot of leaders that are in these small organizations, how do you describe their leadership styles, their philosophies, and the way they think about their role in society? Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, obviously, when you talk about leaders of different companies um, across industries, geographic regions, you know, company size, it's difficult to just you know, use one broad stroke and say, you know, this is what they all have in common because they're, they're all different. But I, I would say the one thing that they have in common is a deep desire to actually know that their business is being as good as possible in the world. And that is really, um, I think it really says a lot about that leadership style that they're not necessarily just saying, hey, we're already, you know, we're already giving back to charity. We're, we're good, you know, or we already pay our employees a living wage. You know, we're good. They're really looking at holistically what can they do to ensure that their company is, you know, operating in as beneficial way as possible. And related to that, Oftentimes it is a, it's really a learning mentality. It's, it's, a, it's a willingness to say, you know, what can I learn from going through this process? You know, what can I change within my business, you know, that I can improve upon, you know, where can I learn from what others are, are doing? Because, you know, when we talk about impact, even if you look at companies like Patagonia, you know, which are, you know, just one of the leading impact companies, nobody has it figured out completely. This is all still, you know, fairly new. And a lot of companies are still grappling with, you know, what, what does this look like, especially when the world around us is changing so much. So being able to understand that, you know, this is really part of a journey and that we are all in this learning process together, I think is really one of the hallmarks of, um, you know, of a leader of an impact company. And, and just to bring this full circle, starting at your journey, working in the nonprofit sector, and then you know, migrating over to the for-profit side, you know, for nonprofits listening out there who are just driving so much similarities between their philosophies with, with the, the B Corp uh, community, uh, what recommendations uh, would you uh, say to the typical nonprofit leader who wants to scale their impact? Well, I mean, nonprofits are are different. And so it's, and that's definitely not the group that I work with primarily. So I would probably not be the best person to kind of um, be speaking to nonprofits about their impact. But if I had to, what I would recommend is use the impact assessment as a tool. You know, it's free to use. Nonprofits cannot get certified as B Corps, but they can go through the assessment. And in going through the assessment, you know, they're also going to be able to uncover ways that they can improve the work that they do and how they're touching, you know, their own um, stakeholder groups. 
nonprofits, based on my experience, tend to be very focused, obviously, on their mission and focused on, you know, what is the, the good work that they're trying to do in the world. But by going through the impact assessment, they're also going to be able to turn the lens internally and look inward to see, okay, what are our operations like? Are there things that we can do to, you know, um, tighten up our own governance practices, you know, to get more input from all of our stakeholders, you know, maybe things that we need to improve on the environmental side, right? Like whatever, whatever it might be, you know, they're certainly able to, to use that same tool. Uh, Carolina, you, you mentioned uh, a lot of the traits of leaders in the space that you worked with, one being a continuous growing learning mindset. Uh, curious, book recommendations, people who are interested in learning about kind of this stakeholder value community, what are a few books that you've read that you'd recommend? Well, I mean, one that is not related to stakeholders, but that is related to um, just having this growth mindset is a book called Mindset um, by, I believe it's Carol Dweck. We can maybe put it in the show notes, but that is a really fascinating book because it speaks to the learner's mindset versus, you know, the mindset of, I already know everything, you know, and so I don't necessarily need to continue evolving and why kind of what drives that. So that's, that's one book that I found really interesting. Um, another group that, is, excuse me, another book that is really interesting is Reinventing Organizations um, by Frederick Lalou, L-A-L-O-U-X. And that is really an interesting book because he looks at the history of organizations and where organizations are headed in the future. And one of the um, kind of one of the things that he posits is that the new organizations of the future are going to benefit from a focus on purpose, allowing people to bring their whole selves to work and on self-management, allowing people to organize their own work. And, you know, even B Corps are not all there necessarily, right? They're focused on practices, not necessarily on how the organization itself changes as a result and what that positive change or evolution might look like. Uh, because really what reinventing organizations presents is that you know there's more to the organization. There's a whole nother level of evolution beyond uh, employee empowerment because if employees are empowered or need to be empowered, it suggests that the organization itself, the way it's structured, is taking away their power. Hmm. So reinventing organizations really presents a new model for how people can come together to advance the work of the organization, but in, in really more um, kind of creative and holistic ways. So I found that one to, to, yeah. to have a lot of um, a lot of food for thought. Yeah, I bet. Very interesting. Very interesting. Well, Carolina, it's been a pleasure have you on the show today. Um, where can people find more information about cultivating capital? Yeah, um, thank you. There's a couple of places. Uh, certainly people can go to our website, cultivatingcapital.com. We have a lot of information, including like B Corp FAQs. They can fill out a contact form on there and you know somebody on the team will review it. They wanna get in touch with me. They're also welcome to uh, connect with me on LinkedIn. So I am on LinkedIn and uh, I just 
invite everyone. If you are going to connect, just leave a note that you uh, heard me on this podcast. Amazing. Well, Carolina, let's bring this home. What is your definition of a real leader? I think a real leader is someone that is willing to really do something that has not yet been done before or to be part of advancing a movement that is doing something that has not yet been done before. When, you know, when we talk about B Corps, the one thing that unites B Corps is that they are working for uh, an economic system that is equitable, inclusive, and regenerative. This is really something that's gonna take decades to achieve. I don't know that our economic system is going to, you know, shift completely in the next couple of years um, or even in the next 10, 20 years. And so I think a real leader is one that is looking at what needs to be done really in in the long term, um, now and in the long term, and to balance that and to use their own organization, their own sphere of influence to uh, move us towards a better world. For Carolina Miranda, I'm Kevin Edwards asking you to go out there and think long term and always focus. Keep it real. Thank you, Carolina. Great. Thank you.